I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch. folks welcome back to another episode of ginger and dutch here on the ginger and dutch podcast here in early march march 1st as we record this the weather's getting better sports is firing up we've got a lot happening ncaa we got nhl nba nfl free agency the champions league round of 16 dutch come on in here this is the perfect time of year for sports tons going on yeah, the weather wasn't so nice today, though, and uh, once again, we're locked down, so we're doing this uh, remotely. Uh, crazy. Uh, it, it never stops. It's We're filled with sports every single day. It seems there's something going on, something different happening, whether it's NFL, you know, hearing about J.J. Watt today and all these different things popping up. Um, I'm, I'm fired up today. Well, we're going uh, gonna to go back to our roots here. We're going to get into a little bit of rapid fire. And then we'll get into our golf talk. And then we've got a friend of the show, actually our first ever guest coming on for a second appearance um, at the end of the show, talking some NFL free agency, Buffalo Bills football and so on. So let's start off with uh, with rapid fire. And as we move closer into the Mar- into March, we get closer and closer day by day to the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Selection Sunday is less than two weeks away, Dutch. I'm getting excited, more excited with each day that passes. We're two years out from our last March Madness. I am so jacked. I can't wait. What do you think? Some big movement at the top, big wins, big losses all week last week. Yeah, and I've been watching a lot uh, down the home stretch here. And, you know, when we last chatted, we talked about the the big names and 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 you were you were you know for certain that some of these teams were were maybe going to miss the, uh, the, the big show here. But They've all started to turn around. Look at Kansas. They're starting to roll. They've won six of their last seven. They'll be a threat. I, I, I called the upset against Baylor over the weekend. Um, you got Duke. They had won four in a row up until a setback which uh, against Louisville on the weekend as well. And then look at UNC. These are all three teams that you said were, oh, maybe not going to, to happen. And look what's happened. UNC wins three of four, and they won a huge game against FSU last week. And I know you really like SU, FSU for the, uh, for the tournament. So uh, lots going on for sure. Yeah, you know what? It's it's uh, these teams. They're they're just like a cockroach, man. These big these big programs. They just won't go away. It's hard to kill them. Uh, they've got so much pride, so much good coaching, um, so much talent. But I'm still sticking by my stance, Dutch. I'm sticking by it. Michigan State yesterday, big loss, mm-hmm. big big loss. So I I still think they're in deep trouble. They've got Michigan twice this week. I think they're going to have to get both of those wins to even sniff the tournament or win the Big Ten tournament outright, which they'll have a hard path because they're so far down in those standings. They're going to have to go through probably three or four ranked teams to win that conference tournament outright. Um, Kansas, okay, Kansas is on a run. I'll give you Kansas. They're 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 tournament ready. They're going to be in the tournament. We'll put that one as a check mark. Kentucky not going to make the tournament. Yeah, and I'll tell you guys right now, if you've got the proper programming, I don't think it'll be on on uh, cable coverage. But Sunday night, six p.m. as we always do in the ACC, UNC versus Duke. I'm calling it right now on Monday, March first. 
the loser will not make the tournament, folks, of that game because I think UNC may lose tonight against Syracuse down six at half. Yeah, and, and all, everything you said there makes total sense when, you, when you're talking about Kentucky, and that will be a huge game. And, and so you're half and half. I mean, like I said, I wasn't trying to, to state that, that you were wrong, but it was just funny just how, like you said, cockroach, you laid it out there. They're just not going away. Um, two things I want to talk about before we switch topics um, is, you know, the Zags, they finished their season. They remained undefeated. Um, but I've talked to you about this off air. What I don't like with their conference championship is that it starts a lot earlier than the other ones. And, and therefore it finishes earlier. So they have a longer wait before tournament time. And I, I want your feedback on that. But also um, I, I wanted to just talk about the team that I think is going to be like very, very scary in this tournament. And I really, really, really like the way the, reigning Big Ten player of the year, Luke Garza, and the Iowa Hawkeyes are playing ball right now. They knocked down Ohio State again, and they are rolling back to the top. That's the team to watch in the in the dance. I told you. I warned you. I warned you about a month ago now, just about uh, right around a month ago, that this team, they're, they're senior-laden. They've got the formula that, that I personally like. They've got Garza down below, and he's not afraid to pass the ball out to some of these Big three-point shooters in Wisecamp and McCaffrey. These boys are deadly from behind the arc. Um, good little formula for Iowa. Senior-laden. Um, so we'll see how they can uh, run through this Big Ten tournament here and set themselves up seeding-wise um, for the, the big dance. The team that I'm kind of hot on right now um, is Michigan. I think Michigan's the best team in the nation. I think they're better than Gonzaga. I, I think they're more battle-tested. Um, I think they're senior, senior laden as well. They've got tons of experience. Jawan Howard's done a great job with the program, and I really like Michigan. In terms of, of the Zags and the, and the advantage and disadvantage of, of the tournament time, um, I chalk it up to, you know what, that's what happens when you play with the big boys and, or you're a, a big fish in a small pond. Listen, um, these programs, we know the NCAA is all about business. And um, when, when you're in a smaller conference, Hey, it is what it is. Um, get yourself ready to go. Get yourself rested and ready for the tournament, and stay prepared. Yeah, I yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I just it just it's it's just never seemed to fare them them well. I guess it's like a you know a, a professional team when they have such a long layoff. Uh, but anyway, so it remains to be seen. The other the last uh, team would be uh, you talked about them earlier, um, even as early as two months ago, and that's Houston. You know they're back on track. They've won three in a row uh, after losing to Wichita State when you at that time had them ranked as possibly being one of the the four number ones. So um, I like them as well. Um, it's going to be interesting. We'll break it down and we'll get closer to, to our, uh, you know, our elite eight picks as, uh, as these tournaments come to an end. Let's uh, switch topics here. Let's get into uh, major league baseball. It, it's spring training started. We didn't really touch on it last week. What, are, what are the teams that uh, you're looking at? We're looking at what's your thoughts? Well, you know what? I was talking with a friend of the show today, um, old boy. And, and he, he, you know, he, you know how much he loves his baseball here. So he, he kind of threw in his two cents to me. In terms of uh, teams to look out for and teams to, uh, you know, teams that he feels are going to, uh, you know, maybe tank or struggle this season and and probably unload some of the assets. Um, He was talking about Houston being one of those teams that has just lost a little too much talent um, over the last couple of years in terms of George Springer and some of the other big name guys that have have walked away from from that Astros organization after the debacle. 
And one of the other teams that he liked was uh, was Colorado. He liked the Rockies to uh, maybe be a little bit of a sleeper for everybody. But a couple teams that I was personally looking at that I think um, have have done a good job here, in, and the first being in, in the NL, is the St. Louis Cardinals. I think for them it's going to come down to, and we're going to get into our, our you know, MLB um, breakdown and, and season preview as we, as we move closer to April 1 here. But uh, the Cardinals is all about the staff. You know, the staff for them will be the key because, you know what, when you look at that lineup and you start to, you know, you pick up Aaron Otto, you've got Goldschmidt, you've got Carpenter, Jose Rondon, you know, that's a deadly lineup from one through nine. For them, is they're kind of like in that same boat as the Blue Jays. You know, they've got an aging Adam Wainwright, Flaherty. They've got Miller out of the bullpen. But beyond that, you look at that staff from top to bottom, and it's not that strong. So if they can somehow piece a staff together and, and get one of these no-name guys to come up as a third, fourth starter, they've got an opportunity here to make a nice little run, and I think they'll be a team to watch out for. Um, in terms of a team to watch out for in the AL, I still love my Twinkies. I still think they've got a shot. I don't think they've missed um, too much or lost too much on that end. The Central, to me, is not really a strong division, top to bottom. So I think it's going to be one of those divisions that, hey, 88 wins, 89 wins uh, might win it. I know it's a shortened year, so you're probably even lower than that. You could see you know, 86 and 76 uh, win that division with 152 games. So I think they've got an opportunity. In terms of the tanking teams, you know, or the teams that, that might be able to unload a few pieces. And I just, I keep going back to two teams and they're both in, both in the AL number one, the athletics, you know, I think they've lost with, with Simeon coming over from uh, to Toronto. Now I think they've, they've lost, they're kind of in that Houston Astros boat. They've lost a few pieces. And then I look at a team right within our division at, at the AL East and that's the Boston Red Sox. I just don't think this team's ready to win top to bottom. You know, you trade away Mookie Betts, you trade away Bettinardi, um, you know, you got Rodriguez on a one-year, eight million dollar deal. What, like Chris Sale? I don't know. You're just wasting away there in Boston now. Xander Bogarts. Like, there's so many pieces there. I don't think the roster's ready to win, and I think they're going to be able to. Uh, I, I just think they're going to underperform, and it's time to strip it down. Yeah, I can't agree with. I can't agree more with with Boston. I think they're they're four or five on on that side. But you know, I'm going to keep it nice and simple. Like for me, I, I don't really have a clue what to expect as far as pretenders wise. I mean, it's too early to tell with you know them just seeing who's going to be healthy coming out of spring training. But on, on the National League side, I mean, I don't even know why we're really even talking too much about it. I mean, there's no chance that anybody's touching that that lineup in L.A. You, you just I don't even need to talk about their their hitting and their their one through seven lineup. Their starting pitching is just unbelievable from Kershaw, Walker, Bueller, Trevor Bauer. Now, David Price is back. Urias, plus two. They, they have seven bona fide starters in the league where they're all typically the worst would be a number three starter. So I can't see anybody touching the Dodgers. I, I do think the Padres and the Mets will uh, um, have, a, have a real solid season. And, and I think all three of those teams will make the playoffs. But I don't even know why we're talking about the National League. Um, and as far as the, the American League goes... You know what? It's 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 coming out of our division. It's uh it's going to be a Yankees and Blue Jays. I think they're going to be fighting for uh, for tops, maybe even in the American League. There's really nothing that that stands out to me when it comes to the American League side. And I'll get into it more details uh, as we get closer and start breaking down. You know 
lineups per se, top to bottom, and, and where we think each team's going to kind of finish. But that's kind of my take on it right now. And you got to remember, there's, there's, they're, they're still expected to play 162 games this season. I, I just, I don't see that um, per se happening. But you know, time's going to tell, obviously, with what's going on. Yeah, and you're always worried about, for me, the, the Blue Jays in that same, like I said, with the Cardinals. I just don't know if the staff, like they're going to have to find a, a two, three starter here to help out Ryu um, to to contend with the Yankees. If not, I think it's the Yankees to lose in, in this division. For sure. But, yeah, tons tons of, uh, you know, like you said, we still got a month away here from baseball. Tons can go down. It'll be interesting to see how they handle all this uh, with the COVID protocols moving forward. But, Gotta love baseball, you know. Hey, we're only gonna play five innings today. No, we're gonna play seven. I, I just love it. I just love it. The spring training. I love the feel for it. Um, and you just gotta throw it in there because, you know, it's time that uh, you know baseball gets going again, and and we get into the spring. And nothing says spring what spring more than uh, a little grapefruit baseball league. Yeah, and let's hope everybody can get back. Let's hope the kids can get back. Let's hope the amateurs can get back playing baseball as well because as much as we're uh, golf pros and we love uh, the golf side of it, I mean, it can't be the only sport to play again for uh, for another season. So, Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's talk a little NHL here. We've uh, we've broken it down. We gave our contenders and pretenders uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, and as much as everybody thought uh, I might have been crazy talking about the Montreal Canadiens and, and being a pretender, uh, I don't think I was too far off after they fired almost their entire coaching staff. The end is near with uh, with Carey Price and and things going on in Montreal. It is a complete shit show there, and um, you know, good for those those Leaf lovers because they're just they're just uh, absolutely uh, relishing in it. Uh, the fact that the Leafs keep rolling and top of the North. You know, I know again we're still 22 games uh, into it, but they fought through injuries. They keep fighting through injuries. You know, you get Jack Campbell come in, hasn't played in. Since I don't know when it was like November twenty fourth comes in and shuts out the the high flying Oilers, man. The Leafs are, are are absolutely fun right now, man. I'm I'm so pumped to talk about the Leafs, and I'm I'm not a bandwagon guy, but I'm just pumped to talk about the Leafs right now. Um, but you're right on Montreal. I still still like the Blu- the Bruins in the East, uh, even though um, you know the Caps are at top right now. That's going to be probably the most competitive division. You've got Pittsburgh, Philly, Islanders, Caps, um, Bruins, and they're all within like five points of that uh, the, um, that division right now. Yeah, I was hoping for my Penguins after a couple of weeks ago. I thought they might have been able to make a little run, but they just two two steps forward, three steps back type of uh, scenario here for for the Pittsburgh Penguins it just doesn't seem to be working out. And then in uh, uh out, out west that division's getting getting tight, you know. It's uh Vegas is, seems to be uh you know, taking a stronghold of it. Colorado's you know, sputtering a little bit there, St. Louis, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens on that side as well. Yeah, and and, and in Vegas is still uh, I think they're the the league leaders in least games played and, yep. they're, and they're at the top yeah and they're at the top of that division and and don't look now but but you know our, our friend mark osborne who came onto the show you know he 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 said that la was going to be competitive and that was their goal yep. and they were they were pushing and, and man they're right in that spot there i think they they might be maybe a point out of um out of fourth but they're they're right there and they're going to be competitive right to the end in that uh in that division 
no, there's there's no doubt. And you know, another team uh, coming up out of nowhere, six wins in a row, the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Um, hey, who thought that would have happened? So nice to see a couple uh, a couple good stories. Calgary's starting to get going a little bit. Another one against Ottawa here tonight that uh, should be another two points for them. So um, some teams starting to make a run, and we're starting to see what can happen uh, the way we thought that when you can reel off, you know, two, three, four victories in a row with, uh, with the setup in the NHL uh, this year, you know, you can, you can fly up those standings pretty quickly. Well, case in point in the, in the last division that we really didn't touch on yet was uh, the central look at those surging Blackhawks. They are just, surprising and they just keep winning i know they've played more games than most of the the boys in the, in that division with tampa and florida carolina but um you know patrick kane's just you know putting that team on his back with uh with a couple others and, and they're making a run here well i told you i told you last week let's get into the new segment brought to you by the ginger and dutch podcast and that's who's the goat this week's topic is top five current nhl forwards i'm talking about you're talking about Patrick Kane. You're talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know if you'll be too happy when I tell you that I got Kane in my top five and Matthews barely been in my top ten. Oh, my God. Why are we even having this conversation? Are you absolutely serious? I, I You know what? It's funny you said that with Kane because, actually, he's he's in my top five, too. But if we might as well not even do this thing. You don't even have Matthews in your top five. Matthews barely made my top ten. You are out of your mind. What? Stick to friggin' stick to football. You can't tell oh, me that, that Austin Matthews isn't one of the top five current forwards right now in the NHL. I can't wait to hear what you got to say right now. Let's do this. All right, let's start it off. I'll start it off from the bottom right here. I'm gonna give a shout out, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll start with five, and then I'll tell you who was my six through ten slot. Okay, and and then we'll go from there. My number five, okay, 105, 110 points in the last two seasons, 34 points in 23 games this year. He's been absolutely dominant since he stepped foot in the league. Leon Dreisdeidel, and from Edmonton, number five, top five forwards currently in the NHL. Number four, we're going back out to our friend of the show, Adrian Dater, from the Colorado Avalanche, and we're going to talk about his boy, and the reason why this guy's not number four, or is number four and not any higher, is he does have the tendency to get injured. He has missed a fair amount of games over his time in the NHL, but talk about elite skill, elite speed, just an absolute point producer. We're talking current, so we can't go back too far here, but um, you know, no cups for either of those five and four for me, but 97, 99, 93 points in the last three seasons for Nathan McKinnon. I got Nathan McKinnon as my number four forward right now, currently in the NHL. Number three. Just just terrible, man. Terrible. Anyways, keep going. This is going to be fun. Oh, you're Come on now. But that these good the ninety five hundred point scores here, and I got him. I'm talking. You four. asked me who the current current we're talking current right now, and Nate McKenna is not in the top five right now. Oh, you're so what? What he was hurt this year, and now you're gonna you're, now you're gonna hey affect him. The you, guy's got seventeen points in like twelve games. Until you lay out, until you lay out the the exact wording of the segment, it's current. NHL, so that means this season, current NHL, and oh, I know Nathan McKinnon should be in the top three, current does not, but he's current not does in not the top five season. right now, sorry. Current does not need one season. Anyways, thanks for rudely interrupting me. Yep. On to my number three. Yep. 
Okay. Guys missed 11 games in six years. That's why McKinnon fell because he misses the game. Okay. He scored 40, 39, 40, and 33 last year in 64 games. He's had 100 plus points in two out of the last three seasons. He's a sneaky, underrated two way forward. He's got over a point a game in the playoffs. Just won this cup. That's Nikita Kucherov. Nikita Kucherov is my number three current NHL forward. This just gets better. Okay, number two. Just scored fresh off scoring his 400th goal. Three cups, 2010, 13, and 15. Art Ross, Hart winner. Okay, the guy's missed, I think, 46 games in 14 seasons. So he's an absolute Iron Man. Okay, coming up on his 1,000th game. Like I said, 132 points in the playoffs. And that, my friends, is Patrick Kane. 110, 114 points in 18 and 19. He's got 34 points in 23 games this year. Absolutely dominant the last five years, three years, two years, whatever you classify as current Dutch. Patrick Kane as my number two current NHL forward. And I got him for this year's MVP right now. And my number one, and I just don't see how you could have anybody else talk about elite speed and elite skill. All the guy's done since he stepped foot on planet Earth is play up with older kids. He's missed only 11 games in five years, 509 points in 374 games, four, point four straight 100-point seasons, over a point a game in, in playoffs. I know he hasn't had a lot of playoff appearances, but uh, that's Connor McDavid, my number one current NHL forward. Well, Mike, drop. Mike drop Dutch. A lot of that was jargon and just a bunch of just whatever. I don't even want to even get into it. I, I cannot believe you do not have Austin Matthews on there. Shame on you. Shame so on my you. number six, my number six, and I don't need to get into the, the my arguments, but 51, 53, 50, 49, 51, 48. Alexander Ovechkin, number six. He would be, Austin Matthews would be my, my, my number one if there wasn't for one guy, and we all know who that is, and we're going to get to it. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm talking current. I'm talking right now what's happening in the NHL the way it ended, the way it started right now. And I'm going with number five. You read his stats out, and he's carrying his team on his back, and they're trying to prove me wrong because I called them pretenders a couple weeks back, and that's Patrick Kane. Yes, he has been unbelievable. He's been an all-star his entire career, and he's doing without Taze as well. Um, he's my number five right now. Number four. Can't believe you don't have this guy in there as well. Mitch Marner, 32 points, playing top-line minutes right now. He's plus 18. Kid is unbelievable. He's shown everybody what he, why he's worth that contract. The Leafs are on top. He's a major reason of it. Number four, Mitch Marner. They can't even get out of the first round of the playoffs. Oh, boy. Number three, current. Mitch Marner, the current, fourth. Come on. Current Hart Trophy winner. You said it. Leon Drysdale, 34 points. He's a plus 15, and he's doing it now without Connor McDavid on his line. He is legit. He's a, the reason why he's a heart winner and the reason why he's in the top four or five right now in the scoring as well. My number two pick, I said it, and I'm calling it out, and I cannot believe. Maybe I'm valuing goals, or maybe I'm just valuing who he is because he's starting to become a better two-way player, and you can see it with his plus-minus, and that's the leading goal scorer in the league. He's a sniper. He's got 18 goals. That's four more than any other 
player out there, and he's played three less games than any of my top five guys. Like I said, stick to NFL and NCAA, and that's Austin Matthews, Mr. Ginger. And number one, of course, I can't argue, he can change the game in a flash. He's the league's top scorer all the way around superstar, and he's playing the best he ever has, and you got it. That's the kid. That's our local boy, Connor McDavid. Okay, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to 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 four and two because uh, you know what, and I know everybody everybody. everybody I'm not being a holder. You know I'm not a diehard Leaf fan. I'm just no, telling you, and, uh, it is what it is. Look at where they are in the points, and maybe I'm valuing points like I said more more so than all your glorified three year stats and what they're doing and everything, but. You can't tell me, and, and don't get me wrong, McKinnon over a three-year span or where McKinnon should be, should be definitely in the top three. I, I'm not denying that. Um, Ovi and Crosby have had their time. They're definitely still in the top ten. I like your Kucherov. I just didn't have him as high up there, Ginger. Yeah, but but I just don't understand how you can you can get, and I, and I don't have Marner's stats here because Marner didn't, Marner I kind of threw in with with the rest of the, the rest of the bunch. I had him at around ten. Right, I had him and Shifley and and a whole bunch of others in there, right around ten. Okay, but let's let's go to Matthews here, right? Okay, let's go back to let's go let's keep it keep it relevant. Seventy, the guy the guy hasn't broke eighty points in a season. Seventy, sixty four, sixty three, seventy three, and eighty in the last four years. Okay, so he's on a he's on a strong pace now. Right. So if, if, right. if Matt talk, Dumba, if Matt Dumba, if Matt Dumba scores thirty points in, in and I know Matt Dumba is a defenseman, but if he scores thirty points in twenty games, he's he's the he's in the top five. No, no, because he's he's not he's not a guy that's supposed to be up there, and he's not a guy that's had those. So you're talking a, a rare guy. So let's let's pick a different guy, like a um, um, let me just throw it out with a guy like a second line uh, guy that's been playing you know, decent minutes or whatever, uh, like a Johnny Goudreau or something like that. Okay. And, okay. Yeah, you're damn right I would put him up there. You're, you're damn right because we're talking current right now, and, and and I believe right now Matthews is playing better than arguably anybody in the league right now. And if you don't agree with that, then I don't know what you're watching and I don't know what you're following because that's clearly what's going on. And, and I'm not even going to – I don't want to get into NHL and what the, the media people talk because I, I didn't agree with her. But, you know, Cassie Campbell throw it on national television and you could say, oh, she doesn't know shit. But she's on the panel and she's saying that she thinks that he surpassed Dave McDavid. And, and now I don't agree with that, but that, that, that means that he's playing good hockey. So you can't tell me he's not a top five forward right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I, I got him at I got him at nine, and you know what? You you start to look at it, and okay, he's when you when you pair it up with what he's done this year. Okay, I could probably switch him and him and Crosby because I think this whole this whole bullshit narrative on Sidney Crosby um, should be should be ended here. Let's call a spade a spade. The guy hasn't been a top five NHL forward since 2018. Okay, okay. that's cool. Yeah. Right. So this whole narrative about this way, that way, the t- the, you know, I, he's had a historic career. Don't get me wrong. And he's absolutely unbelievable. But if we're, if we're talking recent, I don't think he's in, been in the top five since 2018 when he had a hundred point season. Yeah. But, and that's but, cool. And I'm not but, disagreeing on that one. But two weeks ago you were on here and, and you were pumping up that they were the best line in hockey. And I didn't hear shit out of your, your mouth about either one of those two guys that you said was the best line in hockey. And that's Brad Marchand yeah. and David Pasternak. Yeah, you could. Absolutely. That's not individual. Right? I'm saying where, they're the best. Where, line. where are they? 
I'm saying both they're the, the best both guys. Both of those guys. Both I'm of those saying guys they're the best have had, Both honestly. of those guys have had better success, better success team-wise, and better success point-wise than your pals, fucking Austin Matthews and Mitchie Marner. It, it, no, it, not not right now. They're not. And 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 they're playing as a team line. And I said all round. That's two ways of hockey there, Jins. You, just Correct. because you don't play hockey, that, that means there's both sides. There's defense and there's offense. And that line is the best line in hockey. That doesn't mean that they're, they should be in the top five of, of players forwards in the league. That's that's Sorry, you're wrong on that one. And we'll disagree on that one because that's not the case. And I would have all of those guys in there from 7 to 12 or whatever you want to call it. But it, as individuals, because that's what this thing is, GOAT individual players, that's why they're not in there. Because... They're not individuals. They're playing more. They're more of a team line to me. They they equal out their share. You know, they've got the best faceoff man in the in the That's league. Bullshit. Pasternak had ninety five points last year. I'm not talking about last year. I'm talking That's, about we're right talking now. About, oh come on! You're t- you, so you're taking a twenty game a twenty game um, test. Don't run here. Don't that Austin then, Matthews. Then, Austin Matthews then over lay the it last out fucking next time. the last two hundred games. Is barely even averaging a point a game. Just, you just, know, he, he's he's broke eighty points in one season in the last four. Well, and because we'll ta- he's had a twenty-three we'll, game stretch, we'll you talk- got him. You got him as the number two forward. Come on, man. Well, we'll talk about how shitty your segment is then, because this is two weeks in a row that you've screwed me on it. Then, it, lay it out properly. You, who's the goat of tennis? Well, that that doesn't make sense if there's men and ladies. And who's the goat of of, of hockey of of the top five current forwards? Next time, say over the last five years, who are the top five forwards? And then I'll give you a different answer. Oh, you're crazy! You're crazy. Come on. <laughs> we'll we'll be you're more abs- speci- next week. We're going to be more specific with this goat topic. Yeah, that's that's current, man. Current. Like two, three years current. Right? You didn't tell me current oh, three years, on. and that's why my come picks on. are where they are. Uh, you're full of baloney, Dutch. Full of baloney, you are, buddy. Well, well, we'll end it at that. That was good. Okay. Debate. We'll end it at that. Beautiful. Well, let's get to something that we could probably agree on, and that's going to the golf course. Um, big week in in golf. Period. Not just the uh, the PGA Tour. Big week in golf. Um, I want to start off first by talking about uh, something. A cool little story. Annika Sornstam makes her return after yep. uh, thirteen years away from the game. Uh, competitively, I think her last tournament was 2008. She steps foot back out onto the LPGA Tour. She makes the cut. I know she finished last place, but I don't care. That's an amazing accomplishment and a cool little stat. The uh, Nelly Corda and Jessica Corda win the golf tournament back to back. I know there was a little bit of layoff there, but uh, um, the Corda sisters go back to back on the LPGA Tours and the last on the LPGA Tour and the last sister combination. To go back to back, of course, Annika and Charlotta Sornstam. So a cool little connection there, um, in terms of the LPGA Tour. There, yeah, that is pretty cool. And I didn't watch any of it, but I did follow along and uh, and I saw those exact stories. So I'm glad you shared it to our uh, to our listeners because that was pretty cool. Um, and then what about on the Champions Tour? Listen, our boy Mike Weir, uh, man, he blew a four shot lead down the stretch, but hey. It's nice to see him contending. It's nice to see him playing good golf. Everybody forgets, you know, he's an eight-time winner. Obviously, we all know he won the Masters, but um, it was a really cool to see him there. And I know he's going to get back into that situation. He's got an awesome coach he's working with right now. The guy's name is Mark Blackburn, and um, that's a swing coach. He's a younger guy, and he's, he's starting to get some good head wave in the, um, uh, on both tours. So kudos to Mike Weir for, uh, for showing up and, uh, and challenging down the stretch. 
For sure. Yeah, that's his second, second place finish out there. Yeah. Um, he's hitting 70, 72% of the greens. He's first in one putt percentage, uh, fifth in uh, putts per round at 29.7. So all of you, uh, all you uh, trunk slammers out there that say you average about 26 putts per round, you might want to check the scorecard again. Because Mike Weir uh, can put the rock, and uh, nice to see him get back to uh, his sure. bread and butter, and, and that's hitting the irons well, and uh, and putting the putting the ball well. Quick question for you, Dutch. Yep, we're T minus six weeks out away from Hello Friends and Augusta National. Mike Weir made the cut, tied fifty first uh, less than about four or five months ago at Augusta when we returned there for uh, for the twenty twenty Masters. Is there any chance that Weirzy can get a top 20, top 15, top 10, maybe even contend at Augusta with the way he's playing right now? I don't think he contend anymore with, uh, with them after all the lengthening that they've done, but um, he sure as heck could put a, uh, a small little Freddie charge in for a while and, uh, you know, maybe be in the top five to 10 going into the weekend and then uh, fade off to, you know, I, I, Hey, there's no reason why he can't have a top 20 uh, appearance, but that's a good, good conversation to have. Let's see how it happens. Uh, let's see how it breaks out in the next uh, few weeks, but that's uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That'll be, uh, that'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, I was just thinking about that today when doing some prep, and I'm like, you know what? He made the cut. He he might have a shot if he can, you know, bring his A game to Augusta, and you know, not not contend and win the the thing. Because I agree with you, I don't think he can win. But hey, why can't he be uh, just in the mix and around on the weekend? So yeah, let's go to uh, the PGA Tour Concession Golf Club. Nicholas Jacklin uh, Jacklin Design. We talked about it on last week's podcast. How'd you feel the uh, the golf course held up? I thought it showed uh, showed up and showed out this week for the guys. Wow, um, I want to play there. I know it's Florida. I know it's flat, but what an awesome golf course! The condition of it was so pure. The greens were phenomenal, and what a tough. And Asinger kept saying it, but what a tough second shot golf course uh, these greens were diabolical tons of little uh, mounds and uh, i saw some serious bad chipping going on but it wasn't bad chipping it was just that tough um i thought i thought the golf course was fantastic and i think uh it should it should be a you know a mainstay for uh, for the tour I, I think the guys really liked it even though it was challenging yeah and, and i think you i think you saw a, a wgc setup for the first four days i think you 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 put that golf course for four straight days on a major championship setup, um, i.e. a PGA championship, PGA championship, because that's probably true. The, the, the only major that that uh, that yeah. golf course could could hold, you know, they, they would never do a U.S. Open just with the design of it. Right. And obviously Augusta and the British. But um, hey, 72.4 scoring average on Sunday. Only 13 of the 71 best players in the world got to double digits under par over four rounds. Yeah. And only one of them got. Minus fifteen or better, um, yeah, I think that golf course can hold up, no doubt. Yeah, and you know what? Um, you know, I, I want to talk about Morikawa in a second, but obviously, uh, you know, just throwing it out there again, everyone that uh, you know we cashed again. I know it was small, but you know, uh, we had uh, Scheffler as a as a fifth place and, and Webb Simpson uh, in sixth, respectively. So uh, we almost uh, we almost had it uh, going for a while. Webb fell back, but Colin Morikawa, um, okay is uh, a bona fide superstar. I believe that he'll be number one in the world by year's end. I'm going out and saying it right now. Uh, I think that 
he's going to win another major, maybe even this year right away. And he is just absolutely lights out. And, and once again, we are one week late on Morikawa and wait yep. for it. You see the trend here. Two weeks ago, we picked Homa and we are one week away. So just pay attention to my picks this week. I'll do <laughs> that. Well, you know what? After we after we got into that conversation about top five current NHL forwards, it just literally just hit me right in the face. We're going top five current PGA Tour players and current. I'm defining it right now for you, Dutch, because clearly you might have to go to a dictionary to find out of the definition of current. And this next week's current means the last 15 months. 15 okay? months. Okay. 15 I'm, months. I'm done. Okay? I'm in. I'm in. So the last 15 months, who is the top five men's PGA Tour players? That's our Who's the Goat segment next week. I can guarantee I'm not having Rory McIlroy, so just just putting it down there right now, signing on the dotted line, just so you know, okay? Okay, that sounds good. Yep. Well, let's get to this week's picks because um, we're still hot, like you said. We're still rolling. We're right in the mix every week. We've had one off week here in seven weeks, so pretty solid. And uh, you lead us off here. All right, well, I'm going to start off right at the very top. And like I said, there's a trend here. And it's simply just because I picked him last week. And I'm going to go with my gut because I don't want to miss out on doing it three weeks in a row. And I'm sticking with Bryson DeChambeau. I, he, he had a, an unbelievable round this, uh, I believe it was on the, the Friday after. Uh, he was all over the place, 77, 64. He was, he was everywhere, but... Um, he, he, he likes Florida. Uh, he's, he's, he's played well on the Florida circuit. Uh, he's one of the co I think he's one of the favorites to win this week as well. 13 to one Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, uh, I actually entertained the idea of doubling down on, uh, on Bryson as well. Hey, at Bay Hill, you can hit it all over the place as long and you can find it. So it's, uh, it's a good setup for Bryson. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, my rock steady pick 42 to one. Uh, he loves, traditionally loves Florida. Um, I know he missed the cut here last year, but he's had a T3. He's also had a T10, T22. And like I said, his track record in Florida is unbelievable. And that's Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Love Fleetwood. It. Tommy Fleetwood, eh? Tommy Fleetwood. Is that, your, is that your first English pick of the year? That's my first English pick of the year. I yeah. thought so, yeah. yeah. Love it. Good. Uh, Dark Horse, uh He's uh, he's been on the top of the mountain uh, most recently. Uh, I want to say five weeks ago. Hasn't played well the the last um, the last couple uh, events. Sixty three to one. Harris English. He was a T nine there last year. Um, he again doesn't hit it <laughs> this straight all the time. I, I think he's forty seventh or so in the uh, um, on tour as far as uh, driving accuracy, but. I, I like him here. I like him in this spot. Uh, that sixty-three to one, the value is amazing. I love your picks, Dutch. I w- I looked at two out of those three guys for sure. Um, so I'm I'm liking what you're uh, liking what you're preaching on the PGA Tour picks this week. Beautiful. I'll start with uh with my dark horse, seventy to one, forty-four to one on the each way for our listeners out there. He was T twenty at Genesis. That was his last tournament. And he's got a good track record here. We go back all the way to 2017, 12th place, 18, uh, tied for 14th. 19, he was uh, T40, and last year he was T20. He's kind of fallen off the radar a little bit, but he's the Oklahoma State Cowboy, get the orange out, and that's Ricky Fowler as my dark horse pick of the week at Bay Hill. I'd like to see him do well. 
I went back and forth on this pick with two Englishmen, and I, I, I had one written down, and then I crossed it out, so I settled on one. T11 at the WGC quietly. Uh, T5 at Genesis quietly. He was uh, T13 in 2017 at this event. Um, second place outright in 2019, and T9 in 2020. He only The only year he, he struggled was 2018. He missed the cut, but I don't care. I'm going with another Englishman as our rock steady pick. We're doubling down on the Englishman rock steady, and that is Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's been rocking. He's, he's been rocking and rolling lately. I love that pick. He's been rocking and rolling. I almost picked him last week as well. And then my big gun. I did what you did, Dutch. I doubled down from the Genesis, um, going back to the well. He's found out how to play with the new clubs that he told absolutely nobody about. He's won on this golf course before. 2017 T4, 2018 he won, 2019 T6, 20 he was T5. He's only 10 to 1, 2 to 1 on an each way. He was, uh, I believe, T6. with a. He's the king of the Sunday round right now. And that is Rory McIlroy is my big gun pick of the week. Oh, well, I hope he doesn't win for – I hope he wins for our listeners' sake. But I hope he doesn't win because then I might have to – think about where he fits but i still don't think he's in my top five i like the pick um another uh, another great track record down in florida um man that's six six solid picks for our listeners i know they're listening we get texts and messages all the time so um you know i know we're not professionals but we are rocking and rolling and you know i look at some of these other guys that are doing it and i would argue right now that out of all the big companies the big uh you know the cbs's and that uh there's nobody that's even close to what we're picking right now. And that's the truth. Uh, look it up, people. Look it up on all these fan duels on everything across the board. And we are rocking. Love it. Well, Dutch, uh, let's send our listeners off the break. But before we get there, we're, uh, we've got some big news. We've, uh, we've announced the live show coming up March 15th. It's our NFL free agent preview. The NFL uh, free agency starts on March 17th, two days after. So we're going to give you everything you need to know from in regards to NFL free agent preview, uh, position by position, team by team. We're going to have it on lockdown and uh, ready to go. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't go anywhere, folks. When we get back, we're going to be talking a little NFL free agency as well, leading in. We've got friend of the show, our first ever special guest coming back for his second appearance. That's Sal Capaccio. We'll catch you on the flip side. The Devil's Advocates of Sports Talk Radio. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. So welcome to Ginger and Dutch. All right, folks. Welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a segment there from the Ginger and Dutch podcast. We're going to get into a little NFL free agency talk here now. Talking uh, some teams that free agency is not going to matter with their current roster cap situation. And some teams that this upcoming offseason and free agency is going to matter a lot to and can be ultra important in pushing them over the top. And we, when we get into those teams, we're going to bring on our special guest from the Buffalo Bills, Sal Capaccio. His second appearance on the show, first time ever for Ginger and Dutch. As well, we're two weeks out from our live Instagram show giving you all things you need to know and NFL free agency Monday, March 15th, 8.30 p.m. 
live on Instagram. So make sure you join us there. Questions, comments, feedback would be all the greatly appreciated. So let's get into this, the discussion here about some teams that it's not going to matter what happens here in free agency moving forward in 2021 for their season. And the first team I want to start with is the Fly Eagles Fly from the NFC East. This team's $43 million over the cap. Um, they're in absolute cap jail. They've just recovered from the Carson Wentz debacle. They don't even know if Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter or not. Um, an aging, depleting offensive line. Yes, they've still got a good, solid D-line that, that can be dominant at times, but a secondary that's suspect, that's prone to big, giving up big plays. Um, they've got some work to do to get underneath the salary cap, but it's not going to matter. It's truly not going to matter what happens here. I know the NFC East is down right now. Um, we don't know the situation with Dak. The Washington football team looks like they're moving on from Alex Smith announced today. Um, but a great defense in Washington. They're still ready to run, be, run and make a push. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and the Giants. But it's not going to matter for this, this Philadelphia Eagles squad. I just think it's time to strip it down, start fresh, find out if Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback. If not, go find that franchise quarterback and start fresh with Nick Sirianni and the coaching staff in Philadelphia. It ain't going to matter this year what happens in free agency for those Eagles. Another team flipping over to the AFC, and we're going to go to the North, the AFC North, and that is the black and the gold, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. For those Steelers fans, I know there's a lot of you out there that didn't want this to happen, but that was the announcement of Big Ben returning back for his most likely his final season. It will be definitely his final season in Pittsburgh. Um, time will tell if it's fi his final season in the NFL. I believe um, this is the swan song for Big Ben. I think we want ask for one more shot in Pittsburgh to uh, try to put this together, bring him a third title, but it's not going to matter. They're $20 million over the cap. That number doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of uh, what they can do in the offseason, but you know, Bud Dupree looks like he's going to walk out the door on the defensive side. They're going to rework that contract with Big Ben, but uh, offensively, there's just not enough weapons there. Um, James Conner is a serviceable running back at best. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster's a free agent. De De Deontay Johnson is a you know a two-three wide receiver. They're not going to have enough cab room to go get one of these big guys. And even if they do go get themselves an Allen Robinson, a Marvin Jones, a Chris Godwin one of the bigger name free agent wide receivers on the board um, this coming off season. Is it truly going to matter with Big Ben at the helm? Um, just didn't like what I saw. The offensive line is aging, depleting, um, just flat out struggling. So it, you, they can only invest in so many areas with this cap right now. And I just see the Pittsburgh Steelers, it not mattering for them um, this off season in 2021 free agency. Now moving over for some teams that it matters a lot to, and I want to look specifically at the championship games and, and these teams that are real close. You know, you look at um, the Baltimores of the world, and, and they're still building, and they're going to have to add some pieces around Lamar. And There's still questions around, you know, Lamar. Uh, you look at the Colts in the AFC. Can they, uh, can they piece something together now with, with Wentz? Everyone believes that that squad is good enough to win, but T.Y. Hilton on the market at, at, uh, at free agency. So I still think teams like that, Washington, they're still 
a few pieces away. They could use another real good draft class and, and you know, maybe a year or two or three away from, from really pushing over the edge. But let's look specifically at the two teams that were a player two away from, uh, from you know, going to the big dance and, and maybe changing the narrative around Tampa. Um, and we'll start with the, the team that Tampa beat to get into the Super Bowl and effectively end up winning it over the Chiefs, and that's the Green Bay Packers. $10 million over the cap. They're going to restructure, repackage something with, with Rodgers here in his contract. But what are the Green Bay Packers going to do? A very important offseason. Looks like you may have Rodgers at best for two more years. Um, I know he's under contract for, for three for sure. But, um, you know, at that age, at that level, if, if he can't push them over the top in, in the next two years, um, with only a $2 million dead cap hit in that final year in 2023 on that contract, you would think Green Bay at that point would probably want to move on. So to me, they've got a two-year window here with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback um, to try to get this thing done one more time with uh, with number 12, A-Rod. So real interesting. Special teams was a big letdown for them in 2020 um, from punt coverage, kickoff coverage. So they need to figure out how to add some depth on the special team side and go get that next wide receiver. Is it a T.Y. Hilton? Is it a Marvin Jones? Is it somebody to pair with Devontae Adams on the other side where they can start to really get dynamic? Because let's be honest, folks, he intercepted Tom Brady three times in the second half of the NFC Championship game. And other than that last kind of six, seven minutes, that Green Bay offense did not get it done. Um, you know, and they've with Matt Lafleur uh, at the helm calling the plays. Uh, obviously, with the help of with the help of Rodgers, you know they they've transitioned to a running game, and and with that three hundred three headed monster with Jones and Williams and and uh, AJ Dillon in the backfield, we saw him sprinkled in late in the year, and I thought they should have used him a little bit more there. But Aaron Jones looks like he's going to walk out the door. Uh, David Bakhtiari's coming up back off of a major injury, so. It'll be interesting to see what these Green Bay Packers do and how they feel their best plan of attack is to build around Aaron Rodgers and try to push this thing over the top one more time in title town. And the other side to the AFC Championship game, and that is my beloved Buffalo Bills. And uh, to help me talk about my beloved Buffalo Bills and what they're going to do in the offseason, let's bring in friend of the show, Sal Capaccio. All right, listeners, let's welcome friend of the show. Our first time that we've had a returning guest back, first inaugural, second time on the show, Bill's Beat reporter, WGR prognosticator, Mr. Sal Capaccio. Sal, you on the line with us tonight? Yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks. No no problem. We appreciate you uh, Appreciate you coming on and doing this for us. So, um, Sal, let, us, let our listeners know, how fun was it uh, for that AFC championship run uh, that the Bills went on last season? How much fun was that for... For you as a as a fan and as, as as a Bills fan, and for you as a beat reporter to uh, to go through that playoff ride. Oh, I mean, it was great. Obviously, you know, I would say the only thing it was tempered by the fact that a there were no fans really in the stands until the playoffs, and then it was limited. But you know, you couldn't enjoy all those great big wins. You know, beating Seattle at home, beating the Rams on essentially the last play of the game. You know, things like that that you really missed. Um, you know, Miami, the backups basically blowing them out when Miami needed the game at the end of the year. And, you know, and for me, I couldn't we couldn't travel. The radio crew never traveled to any games. We did all the road games from literally the home radio booth with an empty stadium in front of us, you know, with monitors and uh, from that booth. So, you know, it was tempered, but it was fun. It was great. I think just for me, 
it was to see the fan base so happy, you know, to, to, to see, knowing what this fan base has gone through for so long. And I know that the bills have made the playoffs three out of the last four years now, but for so long, it was just being, you know, I, I guess for a lack of better word, irrelevant in a league, like not, you know, resonating, not even, you know, being kind of middle of the pack middling and even, even worse, you know, to, to be where they were, to be on national TV, to be talked about so much. And I think the last part for me that made it really cool was, here I am, you know, we all are, but my off season didn't start until a month later than usual, which is great. Um, you know, yeah. instead of talking about free agency and the draft in early January, it wasn't until really late January, almost early February where all of that. And now it makes everything that much easier to kind of get right to free agency and the draft. Like it just makes everything go so much quicker. Yeah. And, and some of those, those rough seasons, five and 11 and, and six and 10, you know, sometimes it, the draft, talk kicks up with with you and bulldog and Schultz from from wgr as early as you know mid-november and late november and it it kind of makes things drag on a little bit like you said so it's nice to be able to play some football right through uh, almost till the end of january and and enjoy it right so yeah for sure so yeah and there's still a lot to get to and you do have to cram in now you know generally i have more time to do these kinds of things but it was cool you know right before i i, I went i took a vacation a couple weeks ago but right before that literally like for two weeks in a row, it was just every single day doing a, a different position. And that was cool. Like it got me motivated to do something every day to have to write, to have to talk, do a podcast, you know, and, and, um, and that was great, but it was also, Hey, I got to get this done, you know, and make sure it's not like in normal years where you're like, well, do I want to write about this today or that, you know? Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. Sal, you know, now, now that JJ Watts off the board, everybody was kind of hypersensitive to, um, this Bills D line and and what was going to happen, but I don't want to start there. We'll we'll get there eventually, but I want to start with your thoughts on: Is there another position group um, that we're maybe not looking at here? Uh, could it be the O line or the running back? Is there is there something in your mind that that is ultra important for this Bills team to help them take the next step and and try to get into that Super Bowl that maybe we're not looking at right now, or the average fan isn't looking at? I guess I'd need to know what fans are looking at you know we're talking about I, I think um you know everybody has their own idea right so I, I think tight end judging by Brandon Bean's comment could fall into this area I think we, we've talked a lot about tight end but I think people might not realize I think what what I think my interpretation of what he said was that they really want to get a playmaking tight end like there's it's not just oh let's get a guy you know here we are as we talk and we record this you know Kyle Rudolph was released earlier yep. on Tuesday. Right. And like, Oh my God, the bills, the bills. And my response is, does he really elevate your group that much? Like he's a nice addition. He's a nice player, but he's not the kind of guy you're looking for. I think the bills are looking for a, like a superstar. They want a guy that they want a Travis Kelsey type. And even Brandon Bean said, Hey, that's the kind of guy you want, even though they don't come along very often. So I don't think they're just looking for a simple upgrade for the room. I think they're looking for a, okay, we got a mismatch here that you're going to have to account for on every play type of player. And I think that's different than what you think about in a lot of areas. Yeah, you'd love to have a pass rusher like that. They're hard to get. Um, but I think pass rush, defensive end, that that's something in an area where I think a lot of people talk about cornerback number two opposite Tredavious White, um, internal candidates there with like Dane Jackson. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's the pick at number 30 to get a, a young guy. And then I, I think overall – I just think they need a playmaker on offense. I just don't know. I don't want to attach like running back to the name or wide receiver to the name. I think it's somebody who, when you get the ball in his hands, he makes things happen. Yeah. And, and Britt being mentioned that in the fact that no other team came in and, and had to game plan for our tight end. Right. There was no real downfield threat. Um, so I think you're, you're spot on in 
looking at a mismatch or an athlete that really challenges the linebackers and the, and the nickel coverage um, in terms of down the field threats. Yeah. And I think that's the difference, which here's the other thing, like saying that does not mean that you have to move on from Dawson Knox, right? I mean, I like Dawson Knox. I think the bills yep. like Dawson Knox. He's a good player, but he, I think he, I think he should be more of a supplement to what they're looking for. He should be the compliment. He shouldn't be the number one guy. I think that's the point here. And maybe Dawson Knox becomes even more of that guy, but it's been two years. He hasn't been. And I, I, I want to, you know, it's like you talk about these things and I think it automatically just kind of diminishes or downgrades the people already on the team. This is a team that did win 15 games last year. They went 15 and four. They made the AFC championship game. They have good players. So you don't just want to get rid of all these guys in the Lua in the name of, Oh, we need to find something different. I think you have to figure out where you can be even better, but these guys matter still on the team. Yeah. And they're contributors um, right through till, you know, they're let go or, right. or we move on from them. Um, now to, now to the D line, you know, what, what comes in two years, 31 million, 23 guaranteed up front. You know, you were, you were vocal in, in all of your writings and everything about, you know, the price tag was, was going to be key for you and making sure that, that, that number wasn't too crazy. And now that he's off the board, what do you, what is your gut feeling in terms of what they end up deciding to do on this D line? Because everybody's got these great grand allure plans to, to blow this thing up and, and cut Quentin Jefferson and, and, and let go of Vernon Butler and in all these great plans, but you know, it doesn't always work out that way with being a McDermott, you know, sometimes they are a little bit patient. Um, Talk to us also about your article that you wrote uh, recently about those D lines and some of the candidates that you feel might have an opportunity to come in and, and contribute from the free agent side. And I'll start with JJ Watt. So I was interested in JJ Watt if the price tag would have been maybe around $10 million a year. Once you got over 10 million to me, that's kind of danger territory for a guy like Watt. We're talking about a guy who I'll say 32 years old. It, it's not super old, right? I mean, Mario Addison is 34 and Jerry Hughes is 33. So you can't look at it like that, but 32 years old, but also missed 32 games over the last five years. I mean, think about that, guys. He's he's played only 48 of a possible 80 games over the last five years. And even when he was healthy last year, playing 16 games, he only had five sacks. That's as many as Mario Addison and A.J. Klein. So, you know, what are you getting for AJ? For, for, are you going to pay him 12, 13 million and get only 11 games out of him? You can't do that. You know, yeah. so I, I, I wasn't down with that. But, you know, if for the right price, that's fine. As far as the guaranteed money is concerned, you know, I guess there's some reporting now that it's not as much guaranteed as what's been reported because it's divided up. But you know, we're talking 15 million a year. I, I just that was always a, a kind of a danger area for me. So I'm fine with that. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the Bills getting uh, other defensive ends, I, I, I look at it. I did write about it. WGR 550.com. And there are a lot. There are actually some really interesting options on the market coming up on the market. Um, one of the guys that, you know, I thought was pretty good. Um, you know, when I looked at him, I, I, I originally said, okay, well, this guy I really like, and then I went and I kind of examined a little bit more and I said, oh, I really like him. And that's Matthew Judon of the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Matthew Judon is the reason I really like him is he's not just a pass rusher. Now, if you're going to pay him that kind of money, you might say, well, you better get a lot of pass rush numbers. Look, he had nine and a half sacks a couple years ago. He's had six, he's had seven, he's had eight. He's right in that area. He can rush the passer. Yep. But what he really does is he makes the entire defense better. He can move around. He's got, he brings nasty with him. Um, he's got an edge and attitude. He's physical. And, you know, especially if you might lose, um, you know, Matt Milano, which we don't know, I think at least you have another guy here who can do a little bit more uh, and play 
uh, off the ball, on the ball, kind of things like that. So I like him as an option. I like Carl Lawson of the Cincinnati Bengals. You have to think, though, that you know Lawson's had a couple of years where he's only had five, five, five and a half sacks. His rookie year, he had eight and a half. Are you going to get that? If you sign him, you want to get him back to that, you know, the eight and a half, basically. And you have to think if you can do that. Um, and then on top of that, he's kind of an average run defender. So if you're going to give him big money, you have to know that, you know, you're probably going to lose something in that regard. Trey Hendrickson is a person that a lot of people really like because he's young. He had 13 and a half sacks with the the Saints last year. Um, I like that too, but it does scare me when a guy has a huge jump in production. You know, is that something he can sustain? I like consistency. And that's why I actually like Melvin Ingram. But the problem with him is Melvin Ingram has been very consistent. I mean, he gets, you know, he gets basically eight, nine, ten sacks a year for the last five years. But until last year when he had two knee injuries, missed nine games, didn't even have a sack. So the consistency has been there, but the injuries have been there as well. So those are some options I like. Um, some guys I don't like as much, but I understand. Yannick Ngakwe, I mean, how long have we been talking about this guy <laughs> coming yeah. to Buffalo, right? Yeah. Look, look, the thing about Yannick Ngakwe is he is a one-trick pony. Like, he will get to the quarterback, but that's all he's going to do. And if you're going to tell him, hey, line up on the outside, put your hand in the dirt, and go get the quarterback, great. But don't expect him to do anything else. And he's a liability against the run, essentially. I mean, it's a great stat I, I found on him, which is since he came in the league in 2016, he's had the 12th most sacks of any player in the entire league. But out of all 12 of those people, he's had the fewest tackles. So he doesn't do anything other than get to the quarterback, which is fine, but that's all you can do. And I don't know if that's the kind of player that the Bills and Sean McDermott want to have in their defense. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is, is that some of these pieces that we've seen come in they were off to a slow start in 2020 but as the season went on Addison started to get more comfortable we've seen Vernon Vernon Butler flash a little bit Quinton Jefferson flash so they started to produce Harrison Phillips came in and was productive on that line so um, patience might be the key here uh, to kind of steady the boat on this this thing and and I think it could work out if they don't want to go out and like you said make a big splash on the free agent side on that D-line I think they would still be okay with the pieces they have. They just wouldn't have that kind of premier type of pass rusher that maybe a lot of people are looking for. Right. Does that but, make sense? You know, it, it does a hundred percent. Well, I think it goes, it makes most sense because you know, the defense took some time last year to come together. And the reason why mm-hmm. what you said is right is because they didn't have the OTAs. They didn't have the off season. They didn't have the mini camps, the preseason, you know, if you really do the timeline, which is, you know, from the time they actually started to the time the defense started playing really well, which was about midway through the season, that actually coincides with all that time they missed. <laughs> they would, you know, if they, if they go and have that time, it's probably week one where they get things together and they're ready to go. And boom, here we go. And that's really what Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's defense is about: a team defense, knowing your role. And they didn't have all of that. So, but here's the thing: first of all, we are talking about two different positions. It's defensive end and defensive tackle. When people say defensive yeah. line, yep. you know, there are they, they need a pass rusher from the edge. You want Ed Oliver to provide the pass rush from the interior. That's why you drafted him to be the penetrator. He's going to get helped out by having Star Latulale come back. And as of right now, that should be the case. You know, we don't know what the opt-out situation is next year, but it looks like, you know, Star is going to be playing. So, you know, where do you really need Vernon Butler? Do you need Quentin Jefferson? They can save $13 million by releasing those guys. So I, I agree that, you know, if you stay the course with them, they'll be better. But I think there's definitely an argument to be made to move on from them and save that money to spend elsewhere around the roster. Yeah, that makes total sense as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they what Bean ends up deciding to do here in the in the next couple of weeks. Flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, and specifically to to one player that's kind of been um, 
talked about a lot here in, in this Bills offseason that we've had so far, and that's that's John Brown. And I know with the cap number and everything, um, he could be another cap casualty. But does John Brown still not offer a lot to this offense and could still be a very valuable piece if you could find a way to restructure that deal, maybe add one more year on there and get him at, you know, two two years at $12 million per se or a signing bonus, something to keep him in that wide receiver room because I do believe he adds a dynamic that might be hard to replace in free agency or even the draft. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. He's actually my poster child. An example I always use when I say just creating cap space does not make your team better. <laughs> Having good players makes your team better. Having better players. If you're going to create cap space by releasing John Brown, tell me, tell me how you replace him Cause he's a good football mm-hmm. player. Now, if there's concerns about injuries, I understand it. That's for the bills and the medical staff and their trainers to figure out. And we don't know, you know, all that information, but if they have concerns about that, then they should move on from him. I understand that. But otherwise when John Brown's healthy, John Brown's a good football player and he's good for Josh Allen. He's what they want as far as a professional, the way he conducts himself, everything about him. He's a great route runner, great hands. He has speed. I mean, he's actually, if you release John Brown, you know what you're looking for? A guy just like John Brown. I mean, let's be honest, right? And and you could tell me, and people could say all they want, that Gabriel Davis can be the number two receiver, which is fine. Maybe he can. Well, guess what? This team likes to run four receivers. You don't need just two. And what happens if Stephon Diggs goes down? Are you going to have Gabriel Davis become your number one? Then who's your number two? They need depth at that spot. So to me, yeah. I agree. Let's If they could find a way to you know lower John Brown's cap number, that would be great. But honestly, guys, like, I'm actually okay with John Brown being on the team at his current value. It's, it, it's, he's a good player. And I heard um, on my station, they were talking about it a few weeks ago and Jeremy was going through some of the, you know, free agent wide receivers, a guy like T Y Hilton, for example, look, if, if you can release John Brown, you want to go after T Y Hilton, it'll probably be more expensive than what you're paying John Brown. I mean, to get a receiver in the free agent market is going to be expensive anyway. So would you rather have John Brown? at like $9 million or T.Y. Hilton at 10 or 11, let's say. I'd rather have John Brown, right? You know what I mean? So I, even if you lower it, you get the point. I, I, I'm not eager for the Bills to move on from John Brown. I think that if they have injury concerns with him, then they should do it, and I understand why that would be. But this is not a high-priority, let's-move-on-from-this-guy type of deal for me. Yeah, that makes total sense, and and I I kind of hope I'm in your boat as well. I hope they they stick with them and, and keep them on this roster. A couple more questions before we uh, we let you go here, Sal. The running back room, um, did they miss Frank Gore? Did they miss a veteran presence? Was that the issue, or was it just a combination of of you know trying to get the line settled in the first six to eight weeks, and and maybe the running backs missing a, a hole here or a hole there? Um, and you think once again patience might be the best course of action. Or do you think they go out and try to get a, a Tevin Coleman or a Matt Breda, um, some, somebody who's been in the league that can, you know, maybe help these guys along once again, kind of like Frank Gore did with Singletary in, in that rookie season? Yeah, I don't think Tevin Singletary needs a mentor anymore. You know, he's going into his third year. He's been a professional for two years in an organization that, you know, teaches you how to be a professional. Um, I think some of that stuff, you know, I, I saw a lot of that stuff with Kyle Rudolph today. Well, he can be. Dawson Knox's mentor. Well, I hope Dawson Knox doesn't need a mentor anymore. He's going into his third year. You know, he's been a professional for, for two years. And, you know, I, so I think the question would be then, do they miss a guy like Frank Gore brings what he brings? And no, I don't think so. Frank Gore was old. Um, He didn't do much. Uh, They didn't miss that. What they, what they missed was the playmaking ability of a running back. And Frank Gore wouldn't have provided that. They needed a guy who's a little more faster, 
uh, a guy who could be explosive out of the backfield with the ball in his hands, whether that's running the ball or catching it. Um, that's why I think, you know, running back could be in play at pick number 30. If it's the kind of guy that you think could be explosive to add to the offense, a playmaker, like we said, it doesn't matter what is if he's running back wide receiver, but it could be a running back, but that's the kind of guy. I think there were issues at the offensive line. This is an offensive line mainly built for pass blocking. They're not road graders. John Feliciano coming back really helped. I think Ike Butker helped a lot when he was in there. They haven't figured out what to do with Cody Ford yet. I think that's been an issue. Um, so it's a lot. And, you know, Brandon Bean gave, he was revealing when he said he also felt that the running backs were fine. He says he put it on the tight ends. You know, he was honest about that. He said, I didn't feel the tight ends threaten the defense, as you alluded to earlier. But then he said mm-hmm. on running backs, he didn't think that was the problem. Look, the other part of this is the Bills have, they really believe in their financial structure and model of not paying running backs. You know, they have two young guys on rookie contracts, and I agree with that. They have Devin Singletary for two more years in a rookie deal. Zach Moss for three more years in a rookie deal. I, I'm not interested in them paying a lot of money for a running back. That is not the way you win in the NFL. They also, by the way, yeah. don't really hand the ball off a lot. <laughs> you know, so if you're going to pay a running back, it, what is it for? So, no, I, I, I like the guys they have. I wouldn't mind seeing an early round pick on a playmaker. And if that's a running back, that's fine. And then you figure it out. And then you say, okay, either one of these guys, Singletary Moss, is going to be inactive every week, or we try to spin him for an asset. Makes total sense. And last question before we let you go here, Sal. Um, and we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, number 17. What's the next progression? And I've asked you this on, uh, on your show um, on Monday mornings um, on WGR 50 when I called in. What's the next step for Josh Allen? Boy, um, I think consistency, but that's kind of a cliche word, right? So I don't want to be cliche, but that's what it is, right? I mean, we saw that little dip in his production in October, um, you know, and then we saw it again a little bit in the playoffs here or there, you know, kind of debatable on what you want to you know, think about, you know, how we played in the playoffs. But, you know, I think playing at that, that MVP type level, it's hard to sustain. It really is. But that's what the great ones do. You know, Aaron Rodgers played at that level pretty much every week. Patrick Mahomes almost every week. He also had a couple of dips here and there. But you know what you're getting for him from him week in and week out. I think that even though Josh played at an MVP type level, he was amazing last year. I think all of us as Bills fans, reporters, media, whatever, every single game wondered, is he going to be able to do it again? Right. I mean, isn't that in the back of your yep. head? Can he still play yeah, like 100%. that? Right. I mean, yeah. so, so I think eliminating that question is the next step, basically, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. So let our uh, let our listeners know where we can find you because I'm always tuned in to you with some great Bills coverage. But let our listeners know where they can uh, where they can find you and, and find your weekly articles and and podcasts and all that fun stuff uh, and great content that you're putting out there weekly. Yeah, well, whether you're up north or down here in the states, it doesn't matter. You can uh, join find me at WGR 550 on the AM dial, our Radio.com app, also uh, online WGR550.com. Just click Listen Live. I know the app doesn't work uh, in Canada sometimes. I think you could still listen online, I think. I'm not really sure, but I think yep. it works. Um, you could do it that way. Um, you can also um, obviously check out WGR550.com online just for the articles themselves. And then, um, yeah, I do have a podcast, and it's called Sal Sports and Stuff. I talk bills. I talk a lot of other stuff. I recorded one today, and I talked about all the different shows I've been streaming and watching and did some reviews on some cool like murder mystery shows and things like that that i watch so awesome uh, yeah i got some interviews that i do with some people some interesting guests that things like that talk about my life you know just in general lots of cool stuff so check it out south sports and stuff it's at the um it's at our website radio.com it's in the itunes store it's on spotify now so i always have fun doing that as well 
Perfect. Well, Sal, we appreciate you coming on. Like we said at the start, uh, you're the first guest to ever make a second appearance ah. on that. So we, we truly appreciate it. And uh, we're looking forward to an exciting Bills offseason. And uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Always great having friend of the show, two-time guest from the Buffalo Bills, WGR 550 sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio, talking Buffalo Bills football. Big free agency. A lot to uh, lot to uncover there, so I uh, hope you enjoyed a little insight from uh, our friend Sal Capaccio. Well, folks, that just about does it for uh, this week's episode. We've got some big things ahead. MLB MLB preview, three-week preview. we got friend of the show, old boy, coming on to do that. We've got our live show Monday, March 15th, 8.30 p.m., covering all things NFL free agency. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ginger and Dutch One for to keep up to date with everything happening. Other than that, a great episode. Hope you enjoyed. We'll figure out what the definition of current is for my friend Dutch, and we'll catch you next week. Hope you enjoyed the Ginger and Dutch podcast. Buffalo's happening now. We're on the moon now. The fields are happening now. They're making it happen now. We got the spirit. A lot of spirit, yeah. We got the spirit. Just watch it happen now. I'm Ginger and I'm Dutch.